keep us safe. Hello, critics, non-critics, and friends. Welcome to the Film Optics Podcast, where we take a glance into blockbusters, indie films, and everything in between. I'm your host, Christian, and as always, I'm joined by my partner in film, Devin. And today, we're also joined again by Amanda from AMX NDA Reviews. And today, we're here to give our spoiler-free thoughts on Martin Scorsese's Killer of the Flower Moon. And on the latter half of this episode, I will be reviewing the 4K Blu-ray disc of Barbie. And before we begin today's episode, you can listen to our podcast on podcast platforms around the internet. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast and more. And if you are a new or seasoned listener to the show, we'll love to hear from you guys. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and threads at FilmOptics, or you can email us at filmoptics at gmail.com for any movie-related questions. Again, that is optics with an X. So I guess we'll pass it back over to Amanda. Nice to have you back on for two episodes in a row. It's it's a it's a new record for us. <laughs> But how, how have you been? How's your weekend been? I've been good from the, the last time that we spoke. Um, I've been good. Um, I've been catching up on horror movies. Um, I unfortunately watched The Exorcist Believer. Uh, and that was, uh, that was a terrible experience in that movie theater, which only had 15 people. So that was great. Uh, but yeah, I watched that. I've been chilling. I've been chilling. But I'm really happy to be back here with you guys to talk about a Martin Scorsese picture. Cinema. Cinema. <laughs> I haven't seen Exorcist Believer, but Devin has. And this is from the same guy who did the new Halloween trilogy. Yeah, the same team. They're just hopping from franchise to franchise. I don't know. Hellraiser's next. No, oh my God. Look, actually, they're doing Hellraiser next. You guys didn't see this? No. He needs to be stopped. <laughs> no. So Devin, Devin thoroughly enjoyed it from what I understand. I didn't, I didn't mind it. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, I understand. I can see why people wouldn't. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Because it's, it's not, it's not very scary. It's, it's not. not. No. No. Mm. That exorcism lasted like 45 minutes and I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> wow. It wasn't too bad. <laughs> I guess I don't know. Yeah, I know a lot of people were not super happy about Halloween ends. I, for one, liked it a lot. Um, I thought it was pretty cool, a nice little twist, and we still get our final showdown between, you know, uh, Laurie Strode and uh, Mister Michael Myers. That was a pretty awesome fight as well. But yeah, I don't know. I, I guess people just aren't. What is the name of the? Uh, is it a director duo for? David Gordon uh, Green's the director. Oh, it's just okay. Yeah. He also has a what is his name? The famous actor who writes horror movies. He's a comedy actor. Oh, Danny McBride wrote it with him. Yeah, Danny McBride. Isn't oh, it? Yeah, Danny McBride. yeah it's Danny McBride. You could kind of tell. You could kind of tell <laughs> that he wrote it. I just think it's such a hilarious career arc. I know it's so true. So, I mean, what, so without, I guess without giving spoilers for people who haven't seen it yet, who may be listening, um, what did you not like about, I'm, I'm curious cause I haven't seen it. I, I think, I think you should go see it because it, it was not very scary. So you would not, it's not that scary. I think for me, it was the fact that like I could have pinpointed certain jump scares that were textbook that should have happened and would have improved the horror elements for me. And they just did not do it. Um, I think that the girls being possessed, we didn't have enough time with them actually being possessed and like scaring the daylights out of their families. I think that would have been <laughs> much cooler. Um but I felt like they tried to do something different while still tying it back to the original Exorcist, and they did it poorly in that case. So, uh, yeah, there's a couple of things that just didn't sit well, but it felt very long, and there were too many ideas that they wanted to do based on religion that just didn't stick the landing. And a trilogy, of course. And the trilogy that we're getting. Woohoo! Oh, so this is a trilogy. Okay. So it's yeah. literally the same formula. Like from Halloween. 
It is. <laughs> okay. It literally like, is. Like the, oh like, my god! Like exorcist, yeah. exorcist version of Laurie Schrode, like down to oh the T. Oh my god! Now that you said it, it is. It's so. Oh my god! They shouldn't have done it. That's right. Maybe we need yeah. to do a watch party oh. for this. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Man, well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you liked it, or I'm sorry that you liked it too, depending on who I'm talking to. <laughs> <laughs> It's um, fine. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, that's that's good that you've you've watched that and haven't finished uh or started Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, but that's totally fine. It's fine. It's fine. I will. It's I will. Fine. I have to finish a book <laughs> and I will read the book. I promise you. I will read it. It's five hundred pages. Amanda, she was like, Oh yeah, I'll finish it. I'll finish it before the movie comes out. And then I go on her Instagram and what do I find? She's starting a new audio book. (laughs) It's an audio book. It's different than an actual book. It's different. An audio book is much faster for me. Exactly. But I actually bought Ballad of Songbirds. Yeah. I, yeah. Like I said, yeah, I think the book's back in my uh, folks place or something. So yeah, for me right now, I'm just listening to the audio. That's all I really have for any of my books, really. But yeah, it's it's nice. It's pretty nice. But Devin, mm-hmm. how was your weekend? What did you end up doing? What have you been watching? You know, I had to watch this week's Loki and Gen V. I had to knock those out. Two more great episodes. The the, uh, the Loki writers definitely knew what they were doing with a certain line re- regarding this movie coming out soon. There's a line revolving around cinema that that was very oh, very yeah. well placed. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty funny. <laughs> man yeah we, we got a lot to watch man my god i'm so excited it's piling up it, it really really is it's it's the weirdest thing but ugh. i'm kind of happy but kind of sad because it's like there's always something to watch but like i have other stuff to play i got spider-man 2 coming Woo! out october 20th so the day that this releases in theaters for killers of the fire moon is when uh spider-man comes out and Super Mario Brothers Wonder as well. Totally forgot about that for a second. But yeah, a lot of people are very excited about that Mario game. But as I mentioned before, we're going to be giving our spoiler-free thoughts on Killers of the Flower Moon. And with all that said and done, without further delay, we will be right back after this introduction to our coverage of The Killers of the Flower Moon. They told me you was was going with Matt Williams for a time. You talk too much. No, I don't talk too much. Thinking who I got to beat in this horse race, that's all. Let's take a quick break. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast Audio Branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. I didn't realize this was a race. I don't care for watching horses. Well, I'm a different kind of horse. Hong Fashi. Shomikasi Shekoshi Ajami. What was that? Shomikasi. That's how you are. I don't know what she said, but it must have been Indian for handsome devil. <laughs> <laughs> and we are back with our killers of the flower moon review this movie is directed by martin scorsese and stars leonardo dicaprio robert de niro lily gladstone brendan fraser not frazier fraser like razor that's what he said he says fraser not not frazier noted Noted. <laughs> he said that during the like the, the whole whale thing when he was doing that for the whale. Um and I never really like stopped to like think about it. I was like, oh, I guess same. 
Yeah. Nothing but respect for our king. That is true. That is very true. Big facts. And <laughs> and the synopsis is as follows. Members of the Osage tribe in the United States are murdered under mysterious circumstances in the 1920s, sparking a major FBI investigation involving J. Edgar Hoover. So, like I said before, this is going to be complete spoiler free for everyone out there to listen to. We're not going to spill the tea. We're not going to give away any uh, plot details. If you have either are familiar with the uh, story, which is based on true events, which has been turned into a book and now a film, you know, obviously, you know, it happens. But for those who don't, because I know a lot of people out there don't like to read or listen to audio books or in general, um, it's it's very true. It's it's just one, one of those things Americans are good at is is not reading. Um. <laughs> You're like scolding your audience right now. You're like, how dare you guys not read? It's it's. I'm just I'm speaking. I think he's scolding me specifically. <laughs> no, no non-reader. I, okay, De- I don't know what Devin does in his spare time. I don't know if he has all definitely, the collection. Definitely not reading in my spare time. I'll tell you that much. We read articles. We. I read tweets. I read I tweets. Read <laughs> I read threads and Instagram posts. But no, that was not a skull to Devin. Just, just in general, because it it just seems that any time that like a movie that is based off a book comes out. It's like there's obviously, you know, like the core, like the OG fans who go and see the movie and then everyone else goes and reads the book after they see the movie. But obviously this is something that's based on true events. So, you know, it's not like we're going through Westeros or Hogwarts or Pan Am or anything like that. But we're going to get into our initial reactions of this film. I'm going to start with Amanda and then go to Devin and then I will give my thoughts. So, Amanda, what are your thoughts? on this film. I read the book by David Gren. Um, he's an American journalist. And I think that, um, what he did with the book, uh, getting actual like factual evidence and, um, the court details and working that into the narrative for Molly Burkhardt and the tragedy that her family faced, I think, um, was really well-written and structured. And I think that Martin Scorsese and Eric Roth, who co-wrote the screenplay for killers of the flower moon, um, they both did an exceptional job adapting this. I think they authentically captured the nature of the Osage uh, tribe early on in the film. They wanted to showcase who they were ahead of this massacre. And I think think that, you know, three hours and 45 minutes did seem to fly by for the most part. I mean, you can kind of feel the last half hour, but it's really engaging uh, from beginning to end because of the story specifically, I think that Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro were fantastic working together. I mean, they haven't worked together since like Leo was a kid in like Marvin's room and this boy's life. Um, if you haven't watched those, I highly recommend. Um, but Lily Gladstone was literally the heart of this film. Um, she grounded everything with her performance. And even though she didn't have much dialogue, um, her looks could kill you. Literally, she cut through everybody uh, just by a glance, uh, and she was fantastic. So I think it's incredibly well-structured. I think the score by Robbie Robertson was like the heartbeat throughout, um, and I just really, really loved everything about this. It's one of my favorite movies of the year, so it was good. All right, Devin, what are your initial reactions of the film? Yeah, going into this one, um, just knowing the length of this movie, I think you kind of have to strategize, especially if you're going to see it in a theater. So what I did is on my way to the theater, I just, I ripped a Celsius. And that really helped because I was pretty wired the entire movie. Um, (laughs) The entire three and three and a half hour length, which was very helpful. Um, But I'm not saying that in a way that the movie was boring or anything, because I think it was a really well-made movie. I think the story was very compelling and the journey that that Scorsese and the writers take you on it was definitely very well done and like you mentioned the cast here is just amazing Leo and, and De Niro just at the top of their game just like dominating the screen anytime they're on it kind of a an evil like kind of sinister version of Robert De Niro that you don't usually get to see that often especially lately and that was very cool to see 
Um, I, I just want to kind of shout out the casting just in general. Like, there's some cool ass cowboys in this one. Like, I felt like I was playing Red Dead Redemption at times, just seeing these different weird and wacky characters pop up in there. <laughs> their strange eyes and their their cowboy faces, like like straight out of straight out of the West, straight out of a video game. Just so well done. And I will say I definitely really liked the last hour or so. I think that's when things really pick up. Um and where the story starts to resolve itself. You start to get all the all the intricacies of the drama and everything that unfolds and you get some really interesting new characters that pop up. Um we get Jesse Plemons showing up. We get our boy Brendan Fraser showing up. Just it's just a really cool uh, couple people that show up and really bring some life to the screen, and I really enjoyed that overall. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, for mine, and I was I was actually shocked um, when I went to go see this movie. Um, I kind of I did prepare myself mentally a little bit. Um, I think my screening was at like six thirty on I think it was earlier this week or last week. Sorry, God, I'm getting like my weeks and my days mixed up. But um, I went to Mr. Old Letterbox and kind of just like wrote down my my initial thoughts. So I'd said that I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed the movie, especially um, after doing some pre-watching research, just like a little bit beforehand, just to kind of get myself into the mood, into the the vibe of this film. But um, discovering that it was like based on a true story um, from a book really intrigued me because I was like, I mean, I'm just just to come out and say I ripped the bandaid off for Amanda. She already knows this, but like I just didn't I did not vibe with the Irishman as much as I wanted to because I do like Martin Scorsese's movies. But there was something about this movie that was just it just hit for me. Like, you know, the, the film has a slow build, as you guys have kind of both said, um, but it definitely mains, uh, maintains, excuse me, uh, the interest uh, of the plot. So, like, the entire time, like, you can definitely feel, like, the slowness. But um, I actually read today that Martin Scorsese wanted the the pacing of the movie to feel are similar to, I think, Bo's Afraid and Midsommar. And I was like, okay, I can definitely see that for Midsummer. I never watched Bo's Afraid, but yeah, the pacing is pretty much the same where it's, again, like almost the same where, you know, you're unraveling this mystery of like, okay, you know, who is killing, um, you know, these Native Americans? And then you kind of get that answer probably like halfway around the movie. But after, you know, that is all discovered, you're still on the edge of your seat because you're like, okay, is party A going to get away with this type of thing? And I think that throughout the movie, it kept you interested. It kept you hooked throughout the entire film. And the performances, of course, like you guys already mentioned, Lily Gladstone, uh, Robert De Niro, Leonardo DiCaprio, pretty much like the big three that were in this um that was that were in this film did an outstanding job and it was pretty gratifying to see other like well-known actors in smaller role in smaller roles excuse me that add depth uh to the overall story like Devin had said you know Brendan Fraser uh makes an appearance and a few others and you're like oh wow like it's it's kind of like Oppenheimer all over again almost in a way but I I think Martin Scorsese handled the sensitive subject of these events in a very tactful manner, um, making the world feel like authentic and the threat felt real. It felt like tangible. Cause you know, this is a very touchy subject, you know, that he is um, covering, especially, you know, being a uh, white male director, you know, some people are just kind of make that comparison, but the way that he uh, portrays these events are very interesting and very um, real. And just he, he did a great job at showing the un- uh, the injustice that was happening to the Native Americans. Um, and it's it's kind of crazy. <laughs> what do you think about it? I really like how he used the word unraveling. because That feels like the perfect use for here. Just kind of how the story unravels from where you start at the beginning and then just things start to happen and you start to notice little things and then you get to the end and it's fully unveiled. 
Yeah, and it did it did have that uh, Grand Theft Auto or like Red Dead Redemption uh, vibe to it as well, Devin. You know, when when it comes to you know Lily Gladstone and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's relationship, or just Robert De Niro and Leo's um, relationship within the story, with you know Leo being the 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 young nephew coming back from um coming back from the war and you know Robert De Niro playing the uh the uncle and it kind of just it goes all over the place like you know yeah you it feels see, like kind of like you're you're playing the Leonardo the Leo character and like you're the main character of the story and it's like they, he gives you just enough crumbs to like him as a character but then he just does so many terrible things to undo that and it's just kind of that tug of war similar to in Wolf of Wall Street where you want to like the character but He's really not a good person. Yeah. And I don't, it's, I, I think the character's name is Ernest. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Um, Ernest Burkhart. Yeah. I want to call him Ernie. Ernie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ernie. Um, he's, I would say he's more of like a great character because he is forced to do, he's forced to make a lot of decisions in this story that you can tell, at least from the film, that he doesn't necessarily want to do. But I feel like Amanda's the one who actually read the book, so she could probably shed a little bit more light on that. But I guess, Amanda, passing it over to you, like how, when it comes to the book and to the film, like would you say it's a faithful adaptation? Or do you think that, you know, as it usually is, the book outshines the film adaptation do you feel like it's matched um i think it's matched honestly because as i was reading it i could kind of visualize the storyline before going in to watch the film and i think that um what they did pull from the book is obviously centered around molly burkhart and her entire family um but everything with de niro's character as william hale who's the sheriff of fairfax county where this takes place in oklahoma um i think that it everything that happens with hale is basically the factual evidence that is from you know the massacre and everything that's from the book um more like like in legal terms they did that through hale which i really really thought was smart especially how they placed at the introduction like you were guys were saying that the first meeting between De Niro and DiCaprio really sets the tone for the rest of the film. Um, and I think I'm going to shout out to uh, Thelma Shoemaker as well, the editor on this project who's been working with Martin Scorsese, like since the beginning of time, um, what they did with the editing is that they kind of showed you what was happening around the area. And then they would like cut to William Hale, who's Robert De Niro. And I think that the audience gets a different perspective of the character. Um, meanwhile, he's putting this entire facade, um, on, especially, uh, with, uh, with his nephew who's played by DiCaprio. So I think that structurally they really did do the best that they could. And it is completely a faithful adaptation. And I think that more people will probably read the book after this just to get more details, obviously, because that's what the, you know, that's what books do. But I do think that they did an excellent job um, integrating everything as much as they could. I do want to see this movie again. I definitely do because it's, it's, I don't know if I want to see it in theaters again, because there, there was 15 minutes that I missed because I had to use the bathroom. Uh And AMC <gasps> is all like, eh, it was, it was weird. It was, r- we'll, we'll have to talk about it later. Um, <laughs> I did not have to, I did not have to take any breaks, surprisingly. Just powered through it. I'm, I'm very surprised. I usually just power through it, but I powered through Oppenheimer. Um, it was, there was one bit of time where I was like, I have to use the bathroom really quick. And then I was like, oh, I'm a little bit hungry. Um, and I, I don't want to say at what time, uh, you know, obviously what happens in the movie. But when I left, I went to use the bathroom and then I was like, oh, let me go grab like a quick snack. And it was like a private screening, obviously. So I went up to the counter, ordered like my French fries or whatever. And they're like, oh, they're like, uh, what theater are you in? I'm like, oh, I'm in theater nine. They're like, oh, um, they're like, okay, like what row and seat are you in? I was like, I don't know. It's, it's, it was a uh, uh, press screening for Killers of the Fire Moon. They're like, yeah, well, we're going to need you to have to go back to your seat and grab your seat number and your row number. Never, never order, never order real food at a movie theater. 
It's never a it good was time. French fries. I was. I told them, I'm like, you don't need to bring it to me. I can just wait here for it. They're like, no, it's like policy. We have to bring it to you. I'm like, okay, oh whatever. God. It was the most annoying thing. I hate those theaters. It's just so distracting. Yeah. So I'm like, coming yeah. in and out and the smells. Like, like I, I get it, but it's like, I mean, if, if I say that I can just wait for it, I can just like wait for it. But yeah, I missed about like good 15 minutes of the movie where uh, fire was ablaze. Well, we'll say we'll say that. Um, <laughs> oh. I was mad that I missed that part. I know, I know. I'm so mad at you. I oh my god! Know. I'm mad at that's me. The, that's <laughs> the thing. There really, there really isn't a good a good break time in this movie because every scene. Oh, there it, there really isn't. Every scene matters in this thing. Oh, that's so tough. I thought there was because I was like, okay, I'm like, I got to a certain point. I'm like, okay. It doesn't seem like for the next like 10 minutes they're going to be doing anything. I was so wrong. <laughs> it was so wrong. It's a slow burn, man. <laughs> it is. Um, but I believe since Apple is the one backing this film, I believe it is going to be on Apple TV Plus within probably 45 days after its theatrical release because that is definitely something that they'll probably want to do. Um I do want to see it again. I just don't want to see it in the movie theater again because I do want to kind of just watch it at home because I almost didn't go. I was so, but it was not You're my fault. You're welcome. I forced you. you. <laughs> I was surprised to see those. It was Apple TV because yeah. I saw the Paramount, the Paramount logo and I was like, oh, so it's yeah. produced by Paramount but distributed by Apple, I guess. I think yeah. so. I yeah. think so. Yeah. And de- yeah, there, there definitely has to be a 45 day window. I'm assuming for this to hit to Apple TV plus just like all together because, you know, heck, I mean, Coda is still on Apple TV plus. We don't even have a physical for that though. That's like a whole nother thing, but it's like, yeah. Yeah. Once cause Coda was in theaters for a bit and I was able to watch it, even though I already watched it at home. I was able to watch it again in theaters, but that was during, you know, award season. So yeah, they re-released it. I guess it's parent. Is it, is it Apple's then or is it Paramount's? It'll be on Apple TV. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, Yeah. I guess it will be Apple's then. Yeah. But yeah, I wanted to pass it back over to you guys. If there's anything else you wanted to mention that we haven't had a chance to touch on. I know it's, it's a three and a half hour movie uh, for sure. But, and I know that could be off-putting to people, but I actually wanted to ask you guys a question really quick. So when it comes to, we know there's a lot of like three, three and a half hour movies that have been coming out recently, like Babylon, Avatar, The Way of Water, uh, The Batman, things of that nature. Do you think that this film, that people will go see this in theaters? Like not even just saying, will it have a good box office run? But do you think the general audience will sit there for three and a half hours. I think Oppenheimer was kind of the good measuring stick for that. Mm-hmm. Cause that was two and a half hours. Similar yeah. genre of rated R. That was two like, and a half hours. I thought it was three. I, I thought it was three. three on the, yeah, it's three on the yeah. dot. I think. Yeah. Okay, th- oh, three on the dot. Wow. Yeah. So it's a three hour rated R biopic type movie. Like I think that was a good yeah. measuring stick for the audience that you can have if, if you have a, great director attached to a interesting story. I agree. Yeah. It's also in, um, this is his biggest release actually, uh, in 3000 theaters. Yeah. He's never had something this big. Um, and it's in IMAX as well, which is where I'm watching it, um, on Thursday just to give him the support. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think for him, it's, it's a big deal. Like it's a big deal, especially at his age to make something so incredible and moving and relevant um, and also informative. I think it says a lot for him to be using his platform um, to share these stories. And I think it should be mainstream knowledge for everybody to know these stories. Um, So, yeah, I think I hope people go watch it in theaters. I hope that they kind of get reintroduced to Martin Scorsese um, or be introduced to him for the first time. I think it's really important because he's literally the most, like, I'm going to say the most iconic 
director of our generation. And I think that his filmography needs to just be studied and loved more. So I hope he makes money in theaters. I really do. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I hope more people are going to see this. Um, I was t- uh, talking to my, uh, my mom about it. She's definitely going to see it. She's probably is going to just wait for the Apple TV release. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, I don't know. She did see Avatar 2 and Oppenheimer in theaters. So maybe she'll go for this. I don't know. She usually has, she hasn't gone to the theaters like in a while, even like before COVID, she just didn't really Mm -hmm. go. Like I went to go take her to go see Avengers, uh, infinity war. Um, she grant, she dozed off for like a little bit, but like she's, I mean, she still went, but yeah, she hasn't. Cause it's not cinema. <laughs> oh God! I had, I had to do it. Oh, oh no! No! Got him! Just got him! I do think that, like, if the movie's engaging enough, it doesn't matter how long it is. Because, like, I was sitting there for like the way of water, and I was like checked out after the first hour. Like, I was done. I wanted to leave. Like, I was Amanda, so bored with come it. On. I was. Come on. It, go- <laughs> it has to be engaging. And I think Killers of the Flower Moon is a slow burn. You kind of feel that time, but it really is an intriguing story. Um, and I think that's what gets people to like sit there. Like, even Oppenheimer, people watched it like two or three times. Like you do not feel that three hours whatsoever and each hour is better than the, like the last one. So yeah, I think it comes down to if it's engaging and then people will sit there. Okay. Yeah. So it's more about the pacing than it yeah. is the, the length. And I, I agree because I will sit there and watch Lord of the Rings extended edition of the entire trilogy and like not even, yeah. you know, yeah, it's like, to me, I'm fine with it. But yeah, I, I like, I don't mind long movies. As long as the pacing mm-hmm. is there, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. Like it's, it, it has to be so. And this movie, I think this is a good testament. Um, when it came to Babylon, the first two hours, like went by so fast. And then like when Tommy McGuire pops that movie in, is a fever dream. Look it really is. is a fever dream. Like what yeah. happened? How did this movie happen? Yeah, and it's it's like you know once you got to the end, you were like, I, I just it, it was it was just a lot. But for Killers of the Flower Moon, there's not a lot of characters that you have to really follow along with. Like, yeah, there there are like you know the townspeople, but it, it's it's pretty easy to follow along. It, you know, there it's it's a it's a murder case of just you know killing all of these Native Americans and why they're doing it and you know who's behind it. It's Literally, you know, the basic, I guess, like oversimplifying it, but at the same time, it's very, um, it's, it's very engaging. I, I, I really enjoyed it, but let's get into our final thoughts and our ratings for Killers of the Flower Moon. We'll, we'll go to Devin first and then Amanda. So Devin, what are your final thoughts and ratings of Killers of the Flower Moon? Yeah. Final thoughts. It's a very compelling story. And I really enjoyed the journey that the writers and director, Obviously, Scorsese takes you on throughout this one. Um, the cast is top notch, like top to bottom. Like everyone did their job and they did it well. Um, Got to shout out Lily Gladstone. She was just kind of a powerhouse. Like I'm not sure if I've ever seen her in anything before, but I'm sure this will be the first of many opportunities for her. I'm hoping because she's going to get some award season love, and I, I imagine it's going to be good for her career because she deserves it after this performance. And as far as the score goes, they'll probably go with like a 92 overall. Like Really solid, just not too much to complain about, and just a great movie. All right, Amanda, what are your final thoughts and ratings? Yeah, I I really enjoyed this. It's my second favorite movie of the year. Um, you guys all know how much I love Martin Scorsese, and he's a seasoned sor- like storyteller, and I think that um, out of any director, any filmmaker, I think this, um, this story should have been told by him because he he knows how to structure an American uh, tragedy, basically. And I think that uh, the fact that he used his platform and brought members of the Osage tribe um, in to work on, you know, 
like the script and, you know, just stay on sets and make sure that like they're doing things properly. I thought that was, um, something that he should have done and he did do. And he's always learning too, as he keeps saying, even though he's in his eighties, I think it's just incredible work from him. This is like, Leonardo DiCaprio is one of his best performances. I think it's so different, um, from the rest. And that's why, like, I even talk about his performance in the Wolf of Wall Street is something that's different. So this is definitely up there. De Niro's scary as hell and Lily Gladstone's phenomenal. So I'm at it like a 95 out of a hundred. I think it's a near perfect film. It's just, it's so good. And more people need to watch it this weekend. I agree. I would also give this a, I would give it a 90, let's say I give it four and a half stars on Letterboxd. Yeah, I'd probably give it like 94, 95, like in there. Um, like I've said, it's it's one of those movies where I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it. You know, it is that slow It's also build, one where it's like the more you think about it after, the better it gets. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I, th- I think that's what really got me. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, not... It's it's a darn near perfect film, so I probably would just go like ninety five out of hundred, um, altogether. You know, like it is a bit of a slow burn, but it's not a slow burn to the fact where you're like, oh my gosh, is something gonna happen? Like, there's a lot of great dialogue in this or dialogue conversations in in this film, and you know, like we already touched on, like the performances fantastic lily gladstone did an amazing job you know kind of just just acting with with her presence uh more so than anything else but you know it's it shows the um the the unfortunate end that like her her family meets and you know the the trauma that she's going through through all of this and honestly even you know Ernest, as played by leonardo dicaprio um, you really feel for a lot of these characters. There's a lot of great characters here out there. Obviously there is like, you know, the, the good guys and the bad guys, but you have the characters that kind of dance in between and yeah, you just gotta watch out for those, you know, some of these people who, who paint themselves in a, you know, in a white knight fashion and try to like hide behind that facade and those are the most dangerous people you got to kind of like uh, watch out for. And I feel like this movie is very um, relatable even to like today's time. You know, it's it seems like it's the same old story. You know, this is like old America, 1920s. Obviously, things have changed, but things are just more subtle now today than they have been. But just thinking back, you know, about everything that's happened with like the native Americans really just, uh, it puts, it puts this movie in different perspective, but I'm, I'm glad that Mark Martin Scorsese is the one who kind of covered all of this altogether. So yeah, that pretty much concludes our review of killers of the flower moon. And before we get into the second half of our episode, wanted to pass it over to Amanda. First off, first of all, thank you again for, Coming on to the show, um, you know, I, I know you wanted to talk about good old Marty and his his, his latest film, but um, I wanted to pass the mic over to you to let uh, for you to let everyone know where they can find you online, what's coming up on your respective outlets, and where they can find you on the internet. Yeah, well, thank you guys so much for having me on, especially to. Uh talk about it's uh, one of my favorite films of the year one of my favorite directors of all time so thank you so much um right now i i'm gonna probably do a video review for killers of the flower moon um to set up for friday um i also plan on doing a naiad review because that's also dropping on in theaters on friday theatrically i think in canada maybe um, so that I have coming up and then, uh, just catching up on TV. I'll have Loki episode three up to on Thursday on uh, candid cinema on YouTube. And uh, you can check out my website, candidxcinema.com. And you guys can always follow me over at AMX NDA reviews on Twitter, Instagram, letterboxd and threads. If we're still threading, I think we're still threading. So, yeah, I think we're still threading X is on its way out the door like it is yeah it's getting like <laughs> I, I don't i don't like this link thing it's very annoying um it's, i know 
I, I can't, I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. All right. Yeah, definitely uh, check out Amanda's work. Uh, the links to her, all of her work will be in the episode notes of this episode itself. Uh, again, that concludes this portion of our uh, show or episode today. So if you like what you heard thus far, make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your preferred podcast platform of choice. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at Film Optics. That is Optics with an X. And don't forget to share an episode of our podcast with a movie lover, whether it be your mother, your brother, or your significant other. Spread the love for the Film Optics podcast to a movie lover in need. And really quick, before we get on the latter half of this episode, we're going to talk about what's coming up next that you can look forward to on the show. We're going to be covering Five Night at Freddy's Gen V um, episodes, pretty much the, the entire series outside of uh, episodes one through three. We have a separate review for that you guys can listen to, as well as Invincible Season 2 Part one, because the season is being split into two parts. I'm a little annoyed, but it is what it is. And of course, the Hunger Games prequel, The Battle of Songbirds and Snakes. Again, a book that Amanda has yet to finish. And, <laughs> <laughs> and for what you can listen to right now, you can listen to our The Fall of the House of Usher, which Amanda also joined us on for that review. You can also listen to our Dumb Money review, our The Creator review, and our Loki episode one review, and The Continental. We got all three episodes of that series up for you guys to listen to as well. So all that said and done, we're about to jump into the latter half of this review. So I will be right back after this introduction to our Barbie 4K Blu-ray review. Oh, looks like this beach was a little too much beach for you, Ken. If I wasn't severely injured, I would beat you off right now, Ken. I'll beat you off with you any day, Ken. Hold my ice cream, Ken. All right, Ken, you're on. Let's beach off. Anyone who wants to beach him off has to beach me off first. I will beach both of you off at the same time. But you don't even know how to beach yourself off. How are you going to beach uh, both of us off? It doesn't make sense. You can you beach yourself off. You're going to beach both of us off. Nobody's going to beach anyone off. And we are back with our Barbie 4K Blu-ray review. Before I get things started here, I would like to express my gratitude to Warner Brothers for providing me with a review copy of this disc specifically for this podcast episode. For those who do not know, the hit Barbie movie directed by Greta Gerwig is now available on 4K and Blu-ray as of October 17th, 2023. And the 4K boxing is going to run you around $29.99 at your local retail stores. That includes Best Buy for now. Um, that's a whole different thing. Um, Amazon, Walmart, Target, you name it. So if you are new to this section of the channel, this is part of the show where I like to gush about physical media and give you guys the tea as to whether or not this is a good pickup to add to your 4K Blu-ray collection. And what I usually do is break these into certain sections. I will usually give my initial thoughts on the film first. Then I will go into the picture and audio quality and then cover any special features if there are any worth mentioning. Then I give my final assessment as to whether or not you should add this movie to your 4K collection. So for those who don't know, we reviewed this movie when it first hit theaters and my opinions have not changed. Greta Gerwig has made the impossible happen with this film and I didn't think she was going to make this a blockbuster hit, but she definitely cracked the code. This movie was a major hit during the summer, as I mentioned before, thanks to the Barbenheimer movement and made over a billion dollars in the box office, making it the feel-good movie of the year. Um, I mentioned in our theatrical review that I think everyone should go see this movie, even though Barbie is the point of interest. I think the film does an amazing job when focusing on the female gaze and has a few lessons for us fellas out there as well. And I had a lot of people asking me if they are able to 
or should take their kids to this movie. If this Barbie movie was a kid's movie, and my response always was, you can take your kids to see Barbie, but it is geared more towards teens and above. There are a lot of adult jokes sprinkled throughout the film, but those jokes should usually go over children's heads. But let's get into the picture quality of this film. The film's color palette is beautifully adorned in shades of pretty and pink, making the colors truly pop. This film boasts exceptional picture quality that is nothing short of extraordinary. With meticulous attention to detail and constructing the Barbie land world from plastic houses and cars to the simulated water to the plastic beach, not to mention the splendid costume design as well. That was literally out of this world. This movie delivers a visually and enchanting experience bathed in hues of pink. Even as Ken and Barbie venture to the real world, in this film, the level of detail remains the same. It is consistent. I found that the differentiation between the two worlds of Barbie's world and our world whimsical. Um, it was a great journey for these characters to go on. And it, it will the HDR 10, you know, that, that high dynamic range. 10 plus 10, whatever you want to call the technical jargon. I know it's going to go over a lot of people's heads, but the HDR 10 technology works its enhancements here. Um, it's enchanted, allowing these vibrant colors to radiate without overly saturating any of the skin tones of each Barbie or Ken on screen, which is very important for um, the Barbies of color. The quality of the Atmos audio mix on this film is nothing short of brilliance. The storytelling becomes more powerful and distinct. The conversations come to life and add liveliness to the dance sequences. There is a lot of dancing and singing in this movie, which makes the the pack a, a bigger punch. Those those dancing sequences, it just makes it fill the room and I absolutely love it especially the opening song Dance Tonight by Dua Lipa I have that on repeat on my Spotify it is good vibes all around and you'll also feel more immersed in the sound coming from all around including the sides the back above depending on your home theater setup of course um, but the most amusing sound effect in the entire film is the funny squeaky rubbering noise when Barbie kind of like when Barbies move they make that like rubbery squeaking squeaky noise it's kind of funny that element definitely stands out more and it, it made me laugh throughout it was just the small little attentions to detail go such a long way and as far as the dialogue when it comes to the audio quality it remains crisp, easy to understand. The sound levels are perfectly balanced. Overall, this movie is a blast when playing at a higher volume. I promise you, guaranteed it is. Man, the, the sound is bumping in this in this movie and in, in this 4K package. They did a great job with, with the uh, with the 4K disc here. But unfortunately, when it comes to the special features. I'm, I'm kind of shocked here because, as I mentioned before, during the top of this recording, um, Barbie has hit a billion dollars in the theaters. And I'm shocked that there aren't a lot of special features on this disc. I feel like they should have gone all out for this. This doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. This is easily everyone's favorite movie of the year, most people's favorite movie of the year. And we do have a few special features here and there that clock in in about maybe, oof, maybe 25 to 30 minutes tops. Uh, a lot of it is the, uh, a lot of small little featurettes here and there. Welcome to Barbie Land, which comes in around 12 minutes. Becoming Barbie is around six minutes. Uh, musical make-believe, so on and so forth. And another one called It's a Weird World. That is a weird, like, annoying tongue twister. But, yeah, there's a few small little featurettes here and there, but nothing 
worth noting on the special feature side. Again, this 4K package only gives you the 4K disc and the digital code. You do not get a Blu-ray copy for this. That is a separate package where you can buy the standard Blu-ray and that also gives you a digital code for uh, around a 5 to $6 cheaper price. But yeah, I'm very surprised that there's no special features uh, to really note here, uh, especially Greta Gerwig is a fantastic director. And if you haven't seen her other films such as Little Women 2019 or Lady Bird, you definitely should. She is a phenomenal director. Of course, she did direct Barbie as well. But, yeah, I'm surprised, um, you know, Warner Brothers didn't really, you know, follow through with this. Like, you know, this this is one of I, I believe so far. I think this is the only movie to hit a billion this year. No, I lied. There was Mario Brothers as well. This is the second movie to hit a billion dollars, over a billion dollars in the box office at the movie theater this year. And I don't know what the Mario Brothers, um, you know, package looks like, but I can promise you there's probably way more special features in that set versus the Barbie set. But... As far as my final assessments, I I think everyone should buy this film. It is a great time. It is a fun movie for the family and friends to get together. Barbie is a film that shows that if you take risks, it can pay off in the long run. And this is a must buy for any physical collector out there. So with all that said, thank you again for Wonder Brothers for sending me a review copy of Barbie for the purposes of this podcast episode. And that wraps up our show today. If you like what you heard on today's episode overall, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice. If you made it this far, thank you very much. Um, And if you enjoy this show, uh, share an episode with a friend, whether it be your mother, your brother, or your significant other. Be sure to share an episode of the Film Optics Podcast with a movie lover in need. And with all that said, again, thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That helps us out a lot with placement on the Apple Podcast ranking chart or just the the sphere that is the audio Apple app, the audio Apple verse thing. Yeah. And also follow us on Twitter. Instagram and threads, all that social media garbage to stay in the know. I'm your host, Christian, and that was Amanda and Demon at the top of this episode joining me. And remember, life is like a movie. So go out there and make it a blockbuster.